0: Chumpa doo 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 Welcome to episode 138 of Tactical Crouch here, Kick Tripod Yiska and Volamel here as always, bringing you a very special guest, oh man we're gonna make a lot of wet computer jokes on this show, I apologize in, in, in for it, uh, coming from his secret aqua layer. Uh, Overwatch League uh, observer, GM, DM of castles and castles, and what what is the official role for Red Sky City?
1: Uh, game master, game master, head writer,
0: head writer,
1: uh, cybernetic overlord, cybernetic uh, title, on.
0: overlord, uh, tormented by Leader. gnomes, also known as Better Joe. Welcome to the show. Woo! <clears throat> Yay! Welcome to the show, and uh, thanks for um, joining us, even on even on mobile after we had some technical issues after the start.
1: Yeah, it was a, a bio interface category ten pebcac that just.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, for, uh, for those
2: not not versed in, in that jargon, it it, it was a uh, wet ass PC. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Okay, that one wasn't bad. That one wasn't bad. I'll take that one. That one wasn't bad. God.
0: There he is. He's yep. There All
3: he right. goes. And he's gone. And he's, he's gone. gone. Show <laughs> over, boys. You
0: <laughs> really kicked
3: me to it.
1: You just dropped that one.
0: <laughs> Production be damned. Uh, Tactical Crouch uh, is supported by our patrons. If you like the show, go to patreon.com slash Crouch. Go to youtube.com slash tactical crouch if you want to catch all of the VODs. Of course, we're on all of your RSS feeds as well. Big thanks to our patron producers Refi Bean, Ferdino, Pin, Battlecrab, crab, Cope, Lotion, Rexane, Audio Compass, Kasha67, Shara Nathan, Your Misery, Huntertain, Fabled Steven, Roger B. Owen, ChrisR34444, Horbjorn. I listen to this podcast whilst on the toilet and in the shower, thinking of Yiska and Peace Camper. Uh, thank you all for supporting the show. We really do appreciate it. Had a lot of fun playing Among Us with you guys over the past couple weeks. Uh, I get it now. Did it tell you it finally clicked for me? I'm a confident Among Us player now.
2: Oh, very good. I'm
0: confident. And like I, I know, Overlump, I, I know the things.
2: Is that uh, because you left us for the big big streamer guys?
0: I didn't leave you guys. You guys were gone by the time.
3: <laughs> and you were <laughs> arguing with vowels about his master's degree. I don't blame
0: him. <laughs> Yeah. i don't think i have the guts to leave you guys um i also uh am never writing show notes drunk again so don't worry about that uh show notes and show titles will never be written drunk again i promise that right now uh all right let's get into it and uh gnomes this is really a show about you it's all about you baby and um we have a lot of uh things that we want to ask you and talk to you about. There's a lot that we know you can learn us, but I need to get this one out of the way first. This is an important one because we get asked this all the time, uh, from people inside of overwatch league, outside of overwatch league and anywhere else. What does Peggy do? (laughs) Wow. Um,
1: Well, when we had room to bring on additional observers, I thought that, you know, the whole community basically was like, oh, so this is Peggy's job for them, right? For Peggy, right? Mm. And to be fair, I really don't think that the team dynamic would have been the same without bringing on board, uh, because now we have a designated target for all of our jokes and... (laughs) There you go.
0: There it is.
1: There uh, you go. This is going to really be takes, awesome. It takes a certain level of a certain temperament in order to extract maximum joy out of <laughs> pranking and tormenting people. And Peggy just fit that to an absolute T. It's like if you're, <laughs> if you're looking to get a rise out of somebody, uh, oh, they're perfect. They're perfect. and They, they really they are. threaten to fight you at every single turn. Oh. So, um, I, I say this all on mobile without the ability to look at chat which i think just <laughs> awesome. oh, so they, uh, it's I, I really exactly what the you think it, are, it they is they
0: are letting us know <laughs> uh, we love you peggy don't Worry. We, we love you peggy you're the best actually so but I had to get that one in all right um so i also Gnomes, just a really quick i think the discord gate is picking you up a little bit on mobile i don't know if you yeah
1: it's because i went from having like my entire you know Mm -hmm. everything (laughs) oh did you
0: i didn't know i I,
1: (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, yeah so Uh, before i spilled water on my computer so i I think moving the the microphone closer
2: would work probably because you also yeah
1: am i choppy or am i are you picking up too much side
0: uh it's it's choppy it's it's the gates pick uh cutting out a little too early yeah
1: all right i'll fuss with that
0: no worries it's (laughs) it's no problem Uh, yeah, the room noise is fine. It's totally fine. Um, yeah. So anyways, all right, we got the important question out of the way. We can actually just end the show. It's done. We'll see you next week. That's it. Uh, but we're not going to, um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about your, just kind of for those who are like, who, who is gnomes? Why don't I know, uh, what, what he does, um, because I live under a rock, whatever. Uh, Tell us a little bit about kind of your, your journey um, in competitive Overwatch, I guess. We'll start there.
1: Sure. Um, am I coming through okay now, by the way?
0: Coming through strong.
1: Great. Excellent. Tweaked with my settings. So, I started out in competitive Overwatch after what would have been five to six years of life in the real grown-up world, which was, you know... Lame. I was working at a financial company where I met my wife in technology, finance, training, a couple different things here and there. And when the Overwatch trailer dropped, I had we've all got our friends. Most of us have our friends who we grew up with, who we've been playing games with for years, wherever your you know your squad came from. And Mine is cousins and kids I've known since kindergarten and high school. And basically when the Overwatch trailer dropped, we all looked at each other and said, okay, we're going to play this game. We're all going to, you know, finally return from our separate ways. You've gone down the first person shooter path. You've gone down the RTS path, etc. We're all going to come together and we're going to play this game together. Cause this looks sick. The game drops. Uh, I was not in the beta. I did not. I don't remember if I tried to get in the beta or not. The game drops and I formed a team just of me and my friends, half of whom are all dads now. You know, that's just sort of the the skill level we're talking about. Some of them are decent at shooting, I was not. But I really wanted to play in an organized format. So we formed a team and we had nowhere to play because we didn't know anything about the organized Overwatch scene. And also we weren't actually good. So it's not like if, you know, whatever, Real competitions were happening. We were not eligible for it because we were never going to be good. We just wanted to play, you know, like uh, like little league, rec league, etc. So I was snooping around, and I found the r slash Overwatch University subreddit where people go to get good, and they were putting together a league. So I signed us up for that, and it was I a league for all that. skill levels. Yeah. So I signed us up for that, and that was my intro into the competitive Overwatch scene. I went from competing in that, and our team was the terror of like the Gold Plat division, because we had a couple people who were good, and most of us were average or bad, but we took it so ridiculously seriously. We had charts and we had plans, and we did a recon on enemy teams on Overbuff and OverGG and pulled their likely team comps, and we looked on YouTube to see if they had any scrim footage that was publicly available, which is how we won the uh, finals in our division we cool. we always knew that on King's Row they would always send, as soon as they capped first, they would send a kill squad through the alleyway on the side, so the moment we lost first we set up there, they walked down that dark alley and there was just a cloud of cartoon violence it was great <laughs> uh, but I got super involved in the Overwatch University League the OWUL before <laughs> OWL was announced at first I was just competing and I was hanging around the Discord being a nuisance and helping people, then I ended up being a mod, then I ended up meeting up with a couple of the big figures in, in that community. I ended up being one of the head admins. Uh, I That's how I met Mushu Beef, who started Broadcast DG, That Because originally, the OWUL was supposed to be a place to get your start as a competitor, as a coach, and as a broadcaster. And as time went on and the super amateur community sort of developed, there began to be people who... Hang on. It's trying to there we go there ended up being people all over the place who were specializing in things that we were dabbling in and
0: my disc i think you just muted seth all good Feel so bad. That's
2: fine. Discord on mobile is actually. I was. I was ready to put a hole in this wall yesterday. I was playing uh, Among Us on mobile, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. Mm. my uh, voice cut out. And then I had to go into Discord, and then I got disconnected as imposter, and I was ready.
1: Oh, unlucky! Can you guys hear me? Okay, now yes, you're good. Great. Yeah. It was actually my touch screen going absolutely bananas. I'm going to, I'm going to turn on my, my desktop when all this is over and really hope that it comes to life because I can't live like this. Anyways, (laughs) I got super involved in the OWUL, which involved, it had a broadcast division. We were organizing tournaments. I was doing TO stuff. I was reaching out to other amateur and, you know, uh, tier like seven style organizations at the time. And then as I got more and more involved, I lost my job in finance. And I told my wife, I'm gonna take like three to six months. I've built up savings. I'm gonna to try to do something with eSports to make it you know, my actual job. And if it doesn't work, then I'll go back to the real world after that. And as luck would have it, as I was, and this was during a time of crisis because the community tournament, the new community tournament licensing rules came out about then. Overwatch League was preparing to launch. And I was poking all my fellow head admins saying, guys, they're not going to let us be the OWUL. Like, that is not a thing that is going to Mm. continue to exist. We have to change. We have to rebrand. So we're in the middle of a rebrand. We are in the middle of trying to figure out how we're going to handle the license. We're trying to restructure and all that. And then I'm hanging out in the broadcast GG Discord server while I'm trying my hand at being like a mediocre streamer and some other stuff like that. Uh, And imagine dan posts in the discord server that they need somebody same day in la to do observing for tespa i was not really an observer at the time i had done i knew how to do it but like almost everyone else who wants to get into esports broadcasting i wanted to be a caster at the time Mm -hmm. but I said, yes, I can absolutely do that. I will be there, you know, I'm gonna hop in the shower, drive 135 miles up to Burbank and go do that, so. And then, yeah, I just, I drove up and I observed some college uh, Overwatch and they liked me, they kept me on. It was, somebody couldn't make it that day. They kept Hmm. me on and then I was, ended up being picked up for Overwatch League. They had one extra spot for observers for instant replay, like just a dedicated instant replay operator. And they weren't sure if it was going to happen or not. But uh, Jason and Dan liked working with me or they didn't work with me at the time. They just sort of dropped by and uh, Tespa and um, the other folks over there liked my work and they picked me up and that's how I got in.
2: Hmm. I didn't know that. It's crazy. Do you feel like it's super competitive to get in these days?
1: I, yes, but I will one hundred percent say that the reason I got the job is because I could show up. Like mm. you, you have to be you have to ha- be easy to work with, right? You have to have a good personality. You have to be professional. You have to be pleasant. You have to know how to uh, adapt quickly. You have to actually have the eye for observing or whatever thing you want to do in esports, right? You have to actually be close to qualified for the job but access is so much a part of it literally the fact that i was within the radius there were people more qualified than me there were 100 percent people more qualified than me at the time there were people who were grinding it out in tier two but they couldn't drive there the same day Mm. and that made that was the foot in the door like uh grandpa always said that luck is the intersection of preparedness and opportunity and the opportunity factor i cannot understate mm. these days i feel like it's especially in the COVID times i feel like it's not as bad because if you ask anybody who has made it in esports air quotes for our audio listeners if you ask anyone who's broken into the scene they always tell you that you have to be doing stuff and you can always do stuff without getting that lucky break right you right. can write articles, you can produce video content, you can try to TO a tournament, you can just, you can begin doing things so that if you ever have that break where somebody notices your work, you have a body of work to show for it. Um, right. And again, in the remote time and as things built out a little bit more, I feel like it is, I don't want to say more fair, but I feel like the infrastructure is a little bit more there so that if you are working hard and putting your name out there, you might get noticed even if you don't happen to live within driving distance. But at the time, it it was a sheer stroke of luck.
0: It's a heartwarming story. It's, a lot it's, of stories kind of like a, that. I feel a
3: dream. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool.
0: It's you know getting those opportunities out. It does sound like though. So you said uh, you were pr- primarily responsible for instant replays in Overwatch League, which feels like mm-hmm. a very stressful mm. position because you, you turn those around pretty fast.
1: Yes. Yes. You uh You know every single time in season one sometimes the combat log would show up and it'd be on Reddit. Yeah. Oh every once in a while, yeah. It happened a couple that was me. Every time. <laughs> oh. Maybe with one exception. But every time I I would beef that and I just mutter to myself, Hi Reddit. Good to see you. Oh no
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Joe, you might be muted by the way. And so the instant replays if Without giving away any secret sauce about how the instant replay system works behind the scenes, and they've done some like official stuff that you can watch that's mm-hmm. out there uh, but without going too much behind the scenes, if you just know overwatch the game, the window to play an instant replay where it is still salient, it is not going to detract from the rest of the action of what's going on right. you know in the show it's minuscule, especially on control maps right on control maps you can basically play replays between, oh, they've captured and the point we're flipping to the next point, you have a moment to play a replay. But in a big production, they've got other things they have to show too. They have to show sponsored graphics. They have to show lower thirds. They have to run stats and other things like that. So you're competing for airtime with all these other super important elements. Plus you're competing with the fast paced action of Overwatch itself. You need to identify that a play was relevant and valuable. You need to communicate to the different parts of the production team that you are going to run this replay or they tell you, I want you to run that. You need to be aware of what was on broadcast, what angle was on broadcast versus what angle wasn't on broadcast. You need to be aware of what happened so that if you are gonna put any sort of slow-mo spice on it, you know, the exact moment before the widow headshot connects or whatever in order to do so, you need to execute in the program, load that, you know, load to that point, and then get all the, the UI stuff out of the way so that they can cut to you where it just shows the, the juicy, tasty replay and you don't say hello to the front page of Reddit. And right. You have to do that within just a tiny. Oh, we have a cat cameo.
0: This is sorry. This is uh, Timo, our new, our new kitty.
1: Oh, <laughs> I have five cats at home. I will never begrudge oh, anybody
0: hey,
2: a cat. Oh, God, camera. he threw it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: from some of my favorite streamers uh, about yeah, how to, how does, to, course eat, course how to eat, eat those yeah, cats yeah,
1: yeah, I wasn't going to say it so yeah the, the, instant, the, the upside of instant replay though when I was a dedicated instant replay op was that it was the only thing I was doing so when I wasn't running a replay I was just watching I was just keeping my eyes peeled. So I was able to serve as an extra pair of eyes for the director to feed information to the other observers uh, and to feed information to the highlight observer who gets all the sick slow-mo stuff you see at halftime and such like, hey, there was a subtle little, you know, Lucio did this exact little subtle thing during this play that if you show from this angle might be cool. So when I wasn't in the middle of running an instant replay, it was less stressful than being a uh, live observer so instead of being a protracted period of high energy and high stress it was little bits and pieces of extreme high energy, extreme high stress mm. and then more chill All right
0: you hmm. makes sense is
2: there, is there like a like an estimate like how long it takes between like um, the clip happens and the clip has to be ready
1: how much time is 15-20 seconds yeah okay that's really it's rough, a, a little more merciful than that but like if you think about in overwatch a sick play occurs that p- sick play has consequences when's mm-hmm. the next lull in the action right and yeah, how yeah. long is that lull in the action going to be
0: <clears throat> yeah well, the the length of a yiska shower is uh, the new imperial <laughs> measurement that we're <laughs> using uh, for, you don't want for to that. know
1: how
2: much water i need there <laughs> That's, you, you know, you know how I, how long I stay in the shower is, is ridiculous, like, I, yeah, it's, that's at least one uh so you're full case it's- full of <laughs> <laughs> water. <what>? Oh no, <laughs> jeez.
0: <laughs>
2: wow. It only takes a couple of teaspoons to do the damage. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I, it, <clears throat> so, sorry, like, um, pa- pacing in Overwatch was always uh, an interesting thing to me because it seems like it's not like an obvious one very often, right? Like, yeah. for instance, in CS, it's like, round starts, people are alive, people are shooting each other. One team has killed the other teams. Mm-hmm. Now there's a pause. Now there's a buy phase. We got some time. Mm-hmm. In Overwatch, to a degree, yes, that can happen. But like, I feel like the, the timeframes between those is different. And then also like action, to catch all the action and all like the cool little things, there's like a mil- million bajillion ways uh, things could be looked at and also mm-hmm. tell a very different story. Um, is that is there like the, the, the fast paceness, the, the many different stories you could tell, is that like something that you had to consistently refine?
1: Yeah, it takes constant iteration especially with meta development you know spectating goats what kind of stories you try to extract from goats gameplay is completely different than what happens when the shanghai dragons are running sombra widow hanzo or pharaoh or something like that on ilios well which i still have nightmares about um shanghai dragons triple dps during that phase like because what you said about stories it's super relevant because in some metas you're going to be okay there's a it's goats there's a gigantic cloud of cartoon violence in the middle of the map we need to extract the actual 3d chest that's occurring mm-hmm. and try to make that evident to our viewer mm. we need to find ways to to say okay i know you just see these two piles of people slamming into each other over and over again until somebody has earth shatter or Grav. but but did you see this bubble right here? Did you see this b- positioning right here? Did you see this? And right. getting that cadence it mm-hmm. it it's challenging, especially because we can never, you know, you have to decide what skill level are you going to cater your broadcast to? Or uh, are you going to try to be all encompassing? Yes. Are you going to try to get the people who just are flipping through on ESPN and, "Wow, oh, what's this video game stuff going on?" Uh, Are you trying to go to the hardcore people who have watched every Apex season? Like the approach you take and what information you provide your audience is gonna be different. And you cannot make everybody happy. You're not gonna be able to create the perfect broadcast for everybody. So you have to end up creating a broadcast that is consistent with your own creative vision and tries to extract those stories of skill. And where that comes in particularly challenging is when you have uh, any meta that doesn't have clean fights. Because, like, when you have a nice big team wipe, great, that's a breather. Now Mm. we can show positioning. I can, you know, in season one, I was able to run a replay during that time or whatever. But anytime you've got multiple skirmishes going on, you have to make a decision which of these is the story we're going to show right now? Mm. Is there a way we can use multiple angles and, and rapid cuts to show all of this information without, you know, alienating our audience?
3: So, in a way, the meta that we're kind of currently in with like the double flex tank, um, not ideal for observers. Joe, not... you are definitely muted. If anybody. Mm, yeah, can, we can hear I can, like, I can hear Joe. Yeah, that's a weird one. I can Maybe hear you. Joe. Oh, I'll, speak,
1: I'll, I'll speak through okay, another what one. What happened was when my touchscreen went bananas, it probably just <laughs> muted.
3: Very good.
0: <laughs> I, I actually have a hotkey to mute Joe, so like I don't blame True. you. I, I tend to go <laughs> a little
3: long winded. Like, all right, well,
1: all, all, you all your him? excellent insights have been lost to time.
0: Oh, you're good. Can you, are you able to hear Joe now?
3: Test, test. Negative. Right. No, Negative. Slightest. So let's Iska relay. Ask the question. Relay. I'll speak through Iska and or John. Whoever also, pick it up.
2: Car- currently, the meta that's currently <laughs> developing with like the double, double off tanks and on mm-hmm. ridiculous flanks, that's what, a challenging one, right? To, to get right at really the happy. moment.
1: Yeah. yes uh, I, I will say that you know I only really observed that during the playoff games when I was right, right back on mm-hmm. temporarily under contract so I had to do a lot of learning back up on it and I'm not as immersed in it as the other observers are they probably have more insight uh, but to my Reinhardt loving you know pleb self it was a huge challenge because you have to bounce back and forth at rapid pace which is uh like I said, every single time that you make a cut, and this, this is standard for all cinematography, right? This is every single time that you make a cut, the audience's brain has to rewire itself for a moment. It has to readjust to the new information. It loses, it has to reestablish context, which is one of the reasons why um, when you've got your tracer duels in early apex seasons, it's... Great for people who know what they're watching. It's great for people who understand the game really well. Mm. But if you don't understand the game, then it's incredibly disorienting to go from tracer to tracer to tracer to tracer and they're just zipping around fighting each other at an incredibly high speed. Mm. So, in order to catch the action of this double off tank, flankerific style meta, it requires a lot more cuts. It requires a lot more dynamic, rapid style, which some people like and some people find it harder to connect to. All
2: right. That, that, it for me the question uh and you you kind of scraped uh at the topic a little bit with saying like what kind of audience you want to serve but it's not even just the level of sophistication that people want to reach but also just like the 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 stories that people uh value do you, do you have like a good feeling or did did you have to revise that feeling of what people actually like do they want like the crazy flicks and like Backline, Spider Pines. uh, Was there also something about like the, let's say, beautiful dance of uh, of let's say, shock against titans on goats, where it wasn't maybe as much about mechanics? Like, how do you reconcile that? Who's who's the? When you think of someone, and that's also as a content creator currently and as a writer, it's really hard to um, have someone in mind who you're doing it for. What do you think is, like, the the archetypical audience member, what do they want to see?
1: First off, Joe, give me a level. I think I fixed it. Hello. You're
3: alive. We're here.
1: All your valuable (laughs) insights are part of the show again. Hooray. (laughs) Um, So when I think of the archetypical viewer, which is always, it's always an eternal question when... We are in the community, and we are constantly exposed to the degeneracy of live chat, obviously. <laughs> um, and whatever they throw, you know, in the last couple of seasons, whatever they throw tours yep. at, they didn't like, so that's instant feedback, right? right? Instant feedback. But it's it's feedback at the slime mold level. Right. Just reactivity. <laughs> yeah. Just tw- literally yeah. twitching. Uh, yeah. So it's valuable, but y- you can't make it your only weather vane in right. life. Uh, and then you think about competitive Overwatch. You think about the subreddit and stuff, and you have to reconcile the fact that that is a tiny vocal right minority. As composed, you know, if yep. you look at the actual Owl viewer base, many of them don't stay up to date with the latest Twitter drama. They don't look at the latest right. balance threads. You know, they play on console with their friends and they watch the Overwatch League, right. and they're fine with that. Maybe they have their own you know, subterranean discord that has a totally different discourse that none of us even know about and mm. they're not aware of our existence mm. in total parallel. Right. That said, uh one, I was never the director and it really is the director's job to sort of weave right. that together, but it is a collaborative effort. So mm. we all have to be looking for the same sorts of stories. I know your archetypical viewer wants to see displays of skill. They want to mm. see they always want to be in the action. They never want to watch Roadhog walking back from spawn. They always want to see what is the exciting thing happening right now. Right. They want to see skill highlighted. So flick shots and you know any difficult, technical, impressive hero they want to see. Right. Uh, hmm. you, you do have your support mains who cry out to see some mercy footage at some point ever because they want to personally improve, which I think is also your archetypical viewer wants to get better at the game. I don't right. mean to the same degree that they want to see skill, but they do want to learn and they want to get better at the game. So they want to see their heroes played. They mm-hmm. want to see kills. They want to see all the kills that come out. They don't want right. to miss kills. Sometimes we have to say that, you know, yes, this there's a kill happening here, but this is a cleanup kill. We're not going to give it the same attention we're going to give to whatever next you know plot critical piece of information is coming out. So I, they want to see skill. Uh, they do to a certain degree want to see big narratives play out so you've got oh you know um, the revenge of decay right like oh he's playing against his old team they want to see him pop off Um, they want to see their favorite you know bad boy personalities right They want to you know whatever their favorite streamer plays in the overwatch Mm -hmm. league they you know spec spec that person spec that person they always want to see that And you can see from the viewership surge that would occur whenever Defran was in a game or whatever. You've got that sort of phenomenon going on. Uh, I don't think your archetypical viewer, like they want to understand why Team A beat Team B in that fight. They want to understand what happened in the fight, but they're not trying to extract the same level of strategic and tactical depth that your hardcore fans are. So therein sort of lies the balance.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird like that's that's always a problem too like I would find myself in the position where'd probably I, I remember when the when the um when the Trech pass came out and they said we we're going to have a minimap I was like I'm not going to watch any actual overwatch I'm just going to t- watch top down and if something in <laughs> the top down happens that shouldn't happen then I will look at the footage and it's probably carpe doing some something ridiculous right but um yeah, yeah. yeah I, I it's it's really hard to stay like connected to what the yeah the, the archetypical uh viewer is i feel so mm-hmm. um it, it's definitely and that's also probably true across all channels of content re- creation and it which is why yeah. <clears throat> like what do, do you did you guys then sit down also just with the uh, with like a um if you're talking about like these narratives and whatnot, is that like something, are you, are you part of these meetings then as well, where they're talking about uh, narratives?
1: Well, there's a lot of observers. So not everybody was in the story meetings. There was usually like a, one of our directors would be in there. We'd have some sort of a rep in there who would then relay that information to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days, the team puts together their own uh, Know Before You Go documents that are super insightful. They're full of stats and narratives, and right. this player came up from team two and they played with this person, like just great, great research that the uh, observer team does internally and produces just some right. high, value, high value research that we use before shows. Mm-hmm. But I think usually it's like one or two reps from the OBS team go to the story meetings with the producers and so on and so forth and bring back that information.
2: Okay, so the, the, here's, here's going to be an, uh, maybe a, l- a little bit of an unfair question, but I think it's warranted. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think Hero Pools made that job a lot harder? Okay. In, in observing like generally because narratives? Searching narratives. Um because mm-hmm. like one one week you could think, okay, San Francisco Shock is like the best team in the world, and then they come up against Philadelphia Fusion and they get three 0 blown out, right? Um right. or not just narratives but also just understanding where the power comes from in the respective metas like uh, who's actually the star player in, in this meta like who's who's mm-hmm. expected to be popping off is it always just like even when like a new hero comes in with like echo is that the, the one that's going to create the action or you know these types of things What what kind of stories are being told inherently by the meta and how to prepare for that
1: I don't know I think the macro level got more challenging. Mm-hmm. Who has the advantage? Who has the disadvantage? The micro level got easier because Shanghai wasn't running triple DPS with three players that could get a kill at any possible moment. Right. Right. DPS right. on the other side of the field there. Yes. You know, Oh, you picked a sniper? Congratulations. You just nerfed that sniper into the ground. Whatever sniper you observe is now trash. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that part was easier. And... A brief aside on your point about Echo, the existence of a new hero is a story unto itself. So whenever anybody plays a new hero, they're going to be prioritized because whether or not they succeed or fail at that new hero, that is a story. Have they successfully picked up and found a way to use this? That's a story. That's easy. We observe that. We're going to see that. And then, okay, if they're just absolutely beefing it three times in a row, the director forsakes their, you know, takes away their rights and we're going to observe somebody else now. But um, with Hero Pools, again, the just the sheer research and the the team that observed the longest, as in part of the Overwatch League team, the longest, they have a level of reliability, communication, trust in each other, familiarity with the rhythm of the game and stuff that is invaluable. But one of the things that really happened w- when we brought on more observers is we brought on observers that had good connections with like the T2 collegiate scene and stuff. So they were in scrims, they were getting valuable data about uh, what was going on in scrims, not, you know, who has the most scrim bucks necessarily all the time, but like, what are people trying? What are, mm. what's prevailing? So we would have good recon and just people who had a really high level understanding of the game and play it at a higher level. You know, I've always been gold plat trash. But they brought me in to do instant replay. They didn't bring me in to, right. you know, be. And then I just watched the game long enough that I was able to observe and keep up with the fast pace of the best players. But it wasn't from an inherent understanding. It was from just instinctual. I've this has happened enough times that I think I should be here. But some of the newer mm-hmm. observers, their insight they would be able to take a, a hero pool and some of the you know, previous observers as well, but like they would be able to analyze a hero pool, make some deductions about who's weak, who's strong, et cetera. So the, the team itself has a really great knowledge base on which to draw and access to external resources and sources that can help us piece things together. But during, especially the most chaotic, fast-paced hero pools, when it was just rotating every single time, we kind of had to just come into every single game fresh.
2: Right. Uh, that was a worry. The one thing that I always wondered because, like, initially I remember we, when we thought about observing Overwatch, it was like, lit, mm-hmm. I, I remember sitting there in 2016, 2017, and thinking, this is too hard. Like, <laughs> nobody can actually do that <laughs> yeah. to, a, uh, to a sufficient degree. We're always going to lose these um, kills in the process, and it's, it, it won't feel as yes. well. Of course, like eventually we like de- uh observing uh developed to a ridiculous level that we couldn't have foreseen at that time. But in my mind, like intuitively, I always felt like, okay, if we didn't have live events, maybe we could like just maybe have the kill feed from, let's say, thirty seconds in the future and then observe around that, right? Now we have this right. situation where it's like, okay, like we actually don't have to be in an arena and don't have to be is there ever like the thought of yeah let's let's do this with a five minute delay just find like the absolute clips the best angles like really talk this out and um and then i mean the the viewers either they won't know or won't care because everyone's Mm -hmm. like interacting with it at the same time i think generally what life means what is the most up-to-date information going out on the general feeds Mm -hmm. and how how do people then interact with it on social media is that do you think would the broadcast even gain a lot from that and could that have been like something that COVID could have made possible
1: so this is a topic that's been discussed as long as i can remember and (laughs) um especially because counter-strike does a lot of their observing with a delay if I recall correctly, or at least some events do. I'm I'm not an expert on the scene, so I can't specify. Right. Sure. There are some problems and some downsides. One of the things that uh, Jason Alchemist has pointed out is that if you are always observing the optimal angle, the audience will never be surprised. Mm. Because they will sure. always know that, oh, we're on this person, this person's about to kill everybody. And yeah, there's some excitement about that. There is some excitement to knowing something cool is about to happen and you're always Mm -hmm. gonna see the optimal angle. But getting fragged is as much a part of the story as doing the fragging. And if the narrative, if the observing always follows the fragger and never follows the fraggy, then again, the audience is never gonna be surprised. Ah. Uh, Some of the other current observing team has had a lot of thoughts on it and input on it. And I think one of the prevailing pieces of thought is that because live events have always been part of the DNA of the Overwatch League, it is uh, what 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 did um what that guy say from that thing? Do not become addicted to water, my friends, for you will resent <laughs> your absence. Right, uh, Morton Joe, yeah. So like, if you if you say, well, you know, during the COVID times, we could put a little delay on there, no one would notice, and yeah, we would right. look like gods, and the show would be great. Then, as soon as you go back to live events, you become soft and weak. Right, mm. and uh,
0: bring back the other actors.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> um like Alchemist is in the chat also just talking about how um basically part of the fun is uh the build up and like mm-hmm. it's really hard probably also to simulate not having perfect knowledge if that makes sense. Right? Like yes. if it's, you want to keep think, people I, I, guessing. Yeah, that's that's basically playing among
1: us in a way where you're just like <laughs> <laughs> manufacturing. Trying to lie. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't work. Dude, I don't know what you're
3: talking about. I was doing tasks in medbay. <laughs> I was in medbay. I was scanning. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it sounds like one of those things where you don't you almost don't want it to be perfect. You want the kind of flaws. You want the ums, the ahs. you don't mm. want perfect speech, you kind of right. want it to be a little a little gritty. You want right. it to have some some bite to it, some texture. <laughs>
1: I mean, obviously, as an observer, you want to nail it. You want to do, of course, a course, yeah. job. But the fact that that is out of reach, if you are getting as close as possible to that perfection, you're going to have an organic, exciting broadcast.
2: Yep. Right. This is also something that I've given a lot of thought to. And this, is okay, this might develop into a tangent about eSports broadcasting future, but um, mm-hmm. I feel like in a lot of ways... Also, just looking at how media has developed. It's like people want to hear th- there's the the same story t- told in different flavors. And that's also oh, why, sure. for instance, companion streams like sideshows or like, Avast like Disney exists works so well, right? It's also mm-hmm. like <laughs> if you if you want to put it at at the at the bigger I mean, scale, it's also why CNN and Fox News exists, sure. right. It's all the same so, stuff so. Oh. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, maybe people want to consume content through their uh, their favorite content uh, producers and them doing mm-hmm. companion streams and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's always the question: like, uh, is there something to be provides like a live feed or like um, anything of that sort, or are you always going to have this one thing where there's a main broadcast? They are telling the stories, and then you're going to have the specific um, lenses spin yeah, lenses or whatever uh, put onto that. Because' we're, like even in League of Legends, for instance, we're having a ton of companion streams right now. Technology has already fully caught up. Um, do you think that, that is something, do, do you feel that's a desire in the community? and are we, are we moving towards like a thing where maybe there's not a, like a consensus reality stream? in in terms of uh, also from the observing point of view is far far in the future a streamer going to be so big that their observer gets access to the live server and then observes in a way that that specific viewer let's say it's not too hard to uh, to imagine that for instance in the brazilian csgo scene where like mm-hmm. the one of the casters can have like 300,000 viewers during a major event mm-hmm. when a brazilian team is playing maybe they want a brazilian observer uh in that um specification
1: the thing of well first off i don't think that the core stream is ever gonna go away i do think that expanding integration and offering more tools and stuff for companion streamers is good it's healthy it's organic um and it is the the way the wind is blowing in a lot of ways, right? Like mm. you got these personalities; they're allowed to say naughty words, which right. we're not allowed to say naughty words. Right. And I'm not sure. saying that's like the core, but they're they're able to have that that free flowing, yeah. more authentic yeah. style than the the great work that our casters do. But they're all mm-hmm. doing it to type. You know, you can see them when they're on the job versus they're off the job. Uh, the the there's a couple of issues with the idea of moving away from that and first off is that overwatch is presented in like the way that observing is done for overwatch in the overwatch league at least is the brainchild of many 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 contributors both past present and future and an important one of those contributors is the overwatch team itself and activision blizzard because they have a vision for the way their game looks and that is something that is incorporated into what the observing team creates and if you completely take that away you are going to have stuff in there um that i don't think would be beneficial to what they're trying to create and the way they Mm -hmm. want the the game to look um you know we 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 do as many close-up shots of the pigeon on havana as we can and like that's fine but there's other things that you might uh there there would I feel like that level of guidance for the way that Overwatch is presented to the world, especially on the biggest stages, is important as a core product. We also have the issue of a core product because while I think finding ways for the franchise league, the big leagues, etc. to integrate companion streams in and include them as part of their revenue stream and part of their product base is a good idea. Uh, the companion stream ecosystem is obviously beneficial to Overwatch League. It's nothing but beneficial in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But are our sponsors ads running on those companion streams? Right. Right, and because that is also part of the product. Absolutely. And so finding a way to link those two, because of that, the core broadcast is never going to go away because to endemic and non-endemics, the core broadcast is the product. It is what they are paying for. It is the primary revenue driver. And companion right. streams, to the best of my knowledge, are they're great for driving engagement and paying and exposure, but they are not part of the core product. And so unless you can find a way to branch the core product out, And integrate that into those companion streams and work with the big sponsors. You're always going to have a core curated stream.
2: Yeah, and that's where like on-map advertisements come in, right? For me, like where it's like, okay, so there's a Coca-Cola corner. No matter what. And uh, like, no matter what you do, like that, of course, Mm -hmm. basically... Companion streaming is not held back by the technological side of things. That's already figured out to to the biggest degree. It's like business and it's law, basically. Mm-hmm. That uh, that in my mind is standing in the way. Um, it's also, it's I definitely agree that from all I've heard, like the and this is where you probably got a blank, blank face, but where um, like the prescriptiveness of uh, Blizzard co-creating the broadcast from the uh, Team 4 position has a very specific um, flavor to it that, of course, like the, the other extreme is wealth, right? Where mm-hmm. it, it, it's like, okay, there's not much happening um, in that regard.
0: Are you back? <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yeah. Dude, the timing on that was phenomenal. Was
1: <laughs> the timing was amazing. <laughs> Warning. <laughs> Compliance breach detected. Terminate Jeez. connection.
0: <laughs> on, I, on wasn't your sure, I wasn't sure, dude. I wasn't sure. I thought yeah, I thought you were just being joking. He was like, I can't show my face. I was like, oh, I of. think you took blank face a <laughs> I was breaking down no, no, my no. head. It, like
2: ten percent yeah. that is that he actually had to blank break out. Twenty percent that he just doing <laughs> it for a joke. Rest is battery life is empty. <laughs> like
1: no, my battery life is fine. Everyone just froze because, you know, I, I guess corporate intercepted our signal. Um, I have not felt, and this is, you know, this might be a little hail corporate of me. I have not personally felt like the direction that we got from Team 4 was too prescriptive. There were there were some things where I would get frustrated with certain restrictions, but the restrictions make sense. And it's, uh, for, for example there are certain angles where the players, the models are not designed to be looked from top down. Right. So if you're doing top down, you want to use the map overlay. That's what the map overlay is for. My RTS playing brain on the few times, the few unfortunate occasions that I was doing free cam, which I am bad at, I'm not good at free cam at all. Uh, I would always try to take these too steep, these angles that were too steep, like almost isometric style, and that was the sort of thing where they'd say, "Hey, the character models are not designed to be viewed that way. Like all the textures are fine, but they don't become as distinctive. The action becomes right. difficult. We don't want you taking angles like that. It's not a good look." Um, and so I was personally frustrated, but that on that mark, I think they were right, and I just suck at free cam. So I I don't think that the uh I, I don't think it was too super prescriptive or locked down it didn't feel the observing team felt like at least you know during the majority of my tenure it felt like they had a lot of creative control over things and a, a good working relationship in general with team 4
2: mm mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's just the my my in my head it's always okay there's there's one team that's working on it they probably also have better data than uh like be- what kind of audience feedback is in the mm-hmm. in the outside world? Let's say in Cisco, the way this works is basically natural selection. Where it's like, right, you have the Blast right. Pro series, you have the like the uh, ESLs, and whoever has the better broadcast will survive through the um, through those iterations through the years. Um, will bring back, of course. Like it, it's not like they have only dedicated um, observers, but like ob- the best observers will then also be chosen more for these events and whatnot. Right. A- and therefore, like the the refinement of that product just happens by, uh, basically natural selection or pressure. Right. right? Wh- while <laughs> we are basically sitting here in a very Lamarckian way and and saying yeah, like so. This is the meta. We kind of need the giraffe to have its (laughs) neck grow to like at that specific (laughs) camera angle. And so so um, let's get
1: some trees, some higher up trees, right?
2: (laughs) Something like this. And then uh, to figure it out. Now, of course, these. okay. there's there's two ways you can uh, refine that process. One is inductive. You just think okay, this is the best thing that we can do based on the experience and extrapolating from from our experience and then we can go back and look at it empirically. It's still just the same people even though they are very, very highly skilled looking at that, Mm -hmm. right? And I always wondered how high quality the feedback in that regard was. When the feedback in everything else, in every other uh, esport is nobody's watching you, right? Like, mm, right. but now we don't have the the real competition. There's no second Overwatch League mm-hmm. to say, okay, these guys are doing it better. Like, people are that that's the the closest competition, and I, I I'm sure you can't even uh, hear like stand the sound of this is like the constant uh, comparison to OGN, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was literally going to say, these days it's measured by how much people are being nostalgic for OGN. Right. Uh, right. But yeah, it, it does honestly make it difficult to get feedback because a lot of it is, you know doing VOD reviews and seeing, okay, did this match up to our quality standards? Was there execution errors? Do we believe that our approaches are flawed or could use improvement? Because like, there, there will be people in the greater Activision Blizzard esports structure that have ideas or more likely goals. Sometimes they have ideas. Oftentimes they have goals. Hey, we need to do this in the broadcast. We need right. to do that in the mm-hmm. broadcast. And that doesn't come from a place of expertise on What is the best way to observe? It comes from other exigent needs in the organization. Right. And, you know, part of working for a big company is saying, look, I don't think this is the best thing for my piece, but you've got another piece that also has to be dealt with. So we're going to find a way to make this work together. Um, And sometimes it is from people who have experience in broadcast sports, traditional sports, stuff like that, who have ideas for techniques that were used in traditional sports broadcasting, and they want to see if they can be applied to eSports. And it is always worth to experiment with integrating that, because sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But when it doesn't work, you know, it's just like, well, you know, we tried this, and we don't think it worked because of this, this, and this. So it's a constant dialogue. But it does mean that getting hardcore, like, focus group data is tricky. Because, yeah, you know, and, and there has been market research done in order to figure out what do people like, what do people not like. But usually it's stuff like they don't want to see Roadhog walking back from spawn, they want to see kills. You know, right. it's it's very surface level because it's pulling a sample of the vast audience. So right. getting feedback is largely an internal process and it's you know, taking yeah. into whatever metrics we have, like oh chat hated that or I, as an observer and a fan of the art form, hated that, and that made a part of me die inside. Let's not do that again. Right. Uh, but you are right that there, you know, aside from you've got the work that the contenders observers are doing, and, and third party groups, you've got Monkey Bubble and Elo Hell and Broadcast UG and stuff like that. Uh, but at this point, so many people have come. You know, we've had people come up from there from Overwatch League. So either I feel like there isn't a huge amount of communication between Overwatch League and these third-party groups, or it's usually in the form of dissemination. It's OWL observers saying, hey, here's what I'm allowed to share with you to help you improve your process. Right. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I had a point to any of that, but...
2: One interesting thing is, like, can you disclose any, like, examples of, like, a sports feature that really worked out well in Overwatch Observing?
0: But,
1: I feel like there were a lot of ideas that I don't know if we were able to implement in the right. end. Um, I'm trying... I mean, like, Instant Replay. That was right. in there very, very early. Sure. I, I feel like a lot of the those sorts of ideas would have come in in the 2019 season, and I can't pull one out that worked right. because I think a lot of them might have more to do with Highlight Replay been live broadcasts like there's a little bit that is in live broadcast but a lot of replay techniques would have come in and i think our highlight observers do great work but i am not directly involved in that right so i want to i want to say like not just being charitable i want to i want to say that inspiration from folks who have a a meat sports background has been valuable Hmm. okay
0: no, 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 you're not uh, allowed it's to make blanket
1: that. statement with no actual anger Yuska, in reality. Yeska pulls his question. He
0: redacts his question. Jiska doesn't want. Jiska <laughs> pulls his question. <laughs> no, error, like uh, error.
1: I, I think like
2: the, the interesting thing is really hitting the the very core underlying principle of what people want to see see and what kind of emotions work well to appeal to. Yes, right? yes, and. I think that is just universally true for every, every competition you broadcast, right?
1: Yeah, I agree.
2: Do, do you have like, s- like things pop, that pop out, like this emotion I want to have in my uh, viewer? I, that's what I want to invoke in them?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, you want your viewer to feel engaged. You want them to comprehend what's going on. You want them to feel anticipation and tension. And release. It's the it's the basics of story writing and plot creation it is drama. You create tension and you relieve right. the tension. You create pressure and you relieve the pressure. So shots of you know you want buildup. You want them at the edge of their seat. You want them wondering what's about to happen. You want them yelling at the screen. Don't go in there. It's yeah. Not death blossom. Like right. that's and then you want when the big moment happens. You want them to just jump out of their chair, which we in the observing room struggle to not do ourselves right like if if i am in the flow and i know because after season one for seasons two and what i did of season three i was Mm -hmm. doing first person and instant replay i wasn't just doing instant replay right so when you read the play exactly as it's going to go down you move to the optimal perspective to show the most exciting high stakes will they won't they moment and it pays off you just pop off in your chair and if the audience feels that too then great
3: yeah i think you touch on like i think will they won't they is a good is is kind of a succinct yes. way to put it um obviously we all remember some of the most memorable moments you know the spider pine as iska alluded to obviously defrance Grav on hollywood oh, yeah. was very memorable and people still kind of recall it fondly what was one of yours from like an observing point of view or one that you kind of directly interacted with that really like just sticks out as your mind is like, ah, yes, I look back on my my memories of observing fondly because of this or something that maybe you worked with.
1: Well, I feel like we did a pretty good job with the great bamboozle. Like it it wasn't, it wasn't perfect, but that story was told on screen. It was legible on screen. We figured it out like, because we weren't prepared for that at all. Mm. We figured that out as it happened and we managed to capture that moment and that was incredible. That was a that was a high-energy uh, peak moment for sure.
2: Is there ever the desire to just get a heads up from teams and just go, okay, are you pulling anything strange here? Can we set up it and make this a truly <laughs> epic moment?
1: <laughs> We're always asking to get into scrims and sometimes you know, we would. Um I use mm-hmm. the present tense. We we were always asking to get into scrims. I feel like the secret sauce, we've never been warned about the true secret sauce. Right. You'll get the occasional hint that this hero might be important or oh they have a special play on this map. That's all you get. That's all you get. Right. And the rest of the time you are figuring it out as you go.
2: <laughs> that's that's the beauty like of the play. I I once like Took a lot of time to do. I think I did it in a video or whatever. Um, it broke like the, the DeFran play down. And everything seemed to just work in this one. It's like the, the ops is on the buildup of them getting on the elevator. Monty and Doha are just almost whispering, just like, you know, like evoking this feeling of, oh my God, what's going to happen? Yeah. And uh, half confusion, half anticipation. And then just like following the action also in first person. It, yeah, I think it, it actually on live broadcast was on the friend in that moment and then should yeah. just like see that ridiculous angle. Everything worked in that play. The, the casting was sweet. Like I, that felt like just like a gold mine, uh, not just from an observing perspective, but you also got to got to actually like anticipate those. Right. Mm. Like if you're if, let's say there's a I, I'm not even sure uh, Say anything anyone else? To be fair, Zarya was kind of a big deal. But if you just look at the other other team at that time, like then you're probably going to miss it, right? Like um mm-hmm. did, w- were you part of that uh, observing crew at the time? Like during that. Yes. Play?
1: Um I would have been home team first person, and I believe that Atlanta was playing in away skins for that matter.
2: That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe. Yeah, so,
1: in yeah, so I, it I was... want to say they were wearing the white. So I would have been the other team, the team that got again. I'd have <laughs> to go back and look at it. Um, sure. Because right. I had a very specific role at that time. So,
2: mm. right, yeah.
1: Like I remember the energy in the room. But if I was home team and Defran and Atlanta was playing away team at that point, nobody was paying attention to me because <laughs> all the cool stuff was happening for the away. Sure. team. I would have probably just right. been feeding information and popping off as it happened.
3: Right. I so, think that if this st- if I remember the story kind of correctly and and maybe gnomes and and Yusuke, maybe you can kind of fact check me on like what was at least public and, and whatnot. But I can fact um, check you too. Sure. One hundred percent. Was it, it I remember reinforced kind of playing a, a pretty significant role in like at least like announcing it or, or claiming to or kind of like walk us through that play because it is something that's memorable. And I think people would love to hear like maybe a behind the scenes like how the sausage was made on that play and like that specific Moment.
1: I'm I'm not going to be able to give you one of those. Okay, fair enough. just because like the the details of hours and hours and hours and hours of observing, you remember the highs and lows, you remember right. the emotion, but necessarily. I don't remember the breakdown at all. Fair enough. I will say th- that it was great having uh reinforced in the producer room. Mm. He was uh he he did a lot. Like people think that he was sort of attached to the observer team. And we tried to have him like just work as much with us as possible. But he was working with a lot of the other producers. He, he was his attention had to be spread because he had a, a super high level insight into the mm. game. Um, but he was always sort of he would occasionally pop in and be like, hey, keep an eye out for this. Uh, just right. in general with his his okay. high level understanding. Um, so, yeah, it, it was definitely great having him there. I think he's better suited to be talent just because he's great at it. And Mm -hmm. we deserve that. But he was a super, super helpful asset backstage as well.
2: Yeah. And just for you, Joe, I I thought like I, I remember because I misunderstood the role of uh, Johnny in this where, Mm -hmm. yes, he called it before it happened, but it wasn't that he related to the uh, observer Ah, crew. They figured that out themselves beforehand. And uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I, it's possible we got a hint, um, but those hints sure. would have come directly to the director who would have relayed that ah, into us, so right. I can neither confirm nor deny. Gotcha. Right.
3: It, I mean, it's still interesting to hear that you have somebody, or you had somebody in the room kind of like mm-hmm. mulling it about you, but not necessarily directly tied to the observing. Like, is that... Yeah.
1: He, he was actually in the main control room across okay. the hall, so he was pop in on comms, but in our room we had the observers and we had League Admin, and I think that was it.
0: Hmm.
1: And then we had the dungeon, the little closet next door with uh, the replay, recording, all those folk.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. J- Jason is once again in chat saying, uh, having an analyst in the ops room is something we wanted to do in Season 1, just never got it. The meta got easier after Stage 1, so we really didn't go after it so much. Yeah. Like, in my mind... it. The problem is, Overwatch is such a, like, incredibly um, complicated game, where it's like, we talked about this before, where it's like, even the best play-by-play casters, if they give, uh, sorry, not play-by-play, uh, color, if they give you win conditions that are going to happen in the next fight and go- are going to decide it, then those probably only come true, like, 30% of the time, because there's always mm, yeah. some weird wi- Widow headshot angle yeah. happening, or, like, someone just walks forward or something else ridiculous happens in this game, which is also the fun of it, the unpredictability of these fights. But yeah.
1: um, no, no plan survives contact with the enemy. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, at that point, you would have to have legitimately probably like a, an Overwatch League level analyst of the mm-hmm. best kind in order to get any value out of it consistently, I would, I would think, especially now in hero pools. Mm-hmm.
1: The other the other thing about that is that time is of the essence. And I feel like one of the things right. that makes a really good observer, uh, and one of the reasons why I was able to be a good observer, even though I am tragically poor at Overwatch itself, <laughs> is just instinct.
0: Right.
1: I, I say instinct, but what I actually mean is when you've committed enough of the game to unconscious, you know not muscle memory but you just know just you you interpret the game state and you say something weird is going on i need to be here right now right and you know if you've done enough reps you are correct and that is in like because you will never stay ahead of 20 teams with their own coaches their own analysts their own players with their own personnel you will never stay ahead of that so being able to Dynamically react to a, an evolving game state to stay on top of things and look for the weird stuff as it happens is critical. And having an analyst, like, an analyst's insight is always invaluable, but I feel like the best work is either preloading you with information to prime your brain to react Brian. to weird events, or they have to figure out a way to identify what's going on and communicate as succinctly. They have to be, um, accurate, brief, and or I don't remember what the ABCs of, of radio comms are, but you know what I mean. They have to be yeah. mm-hmm. precise, they have to be brief, they have to be accurate, and they may not be able to explain everything going on to you. They would just say, right. look at this person, look at this right. person, go here, you need this mm-hmm. angle, and just know exactly how to get that information to the observers in a way that they can integrate into their workflow and parse and execute in a timely fashion is, that's a tall order.
2: Mm-hmm. Have you Uh, tried? We need more
0: of the Elon Musk, uh, Tesla brain. Yeah, the brain link. Very
3: true. Very true. Yeah.
0: Just do it and make it happen. (laughs) Easy.
3: Everybody's on the same page at all times.
0: Problem solved. Overwatch please send me my check.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Jessica kind of touched on something that might just come across as me being very ignorant to exactly like the workflow of the obs, the casters, and like the production team as a whole, but. For instance, if you were put in a position or the the obs team was put in a position where the 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 casters were kind of announcing like a win condition, but you guys already kind of like were setting up for something just slightly congruent or maybe adjacent to that win condition, is there or was there ever like a call to say like oh, let's just like stick with the narrative that they're painting or, you know, like oh, I think this is the better angle that like it was there is there like that adaptation like kind of okay All the
1: time. It's it's constantly because we have caster comms, you know, when when everything's in good order. We've got caster comms in our ear, and we always try to work with them as part of the same storytelling apparatus. Whenever possible, we want to be observing what they're talking about. Mm. But sometimes we make the call that, like, this is so important and nobody's called it out yet. And it's not because, you know, the casters dropped the ball. It's usually because this is is weird. This is some weird stuff, and we need to point it out. Or, you know, this character has this player has a track record of pulling this off. So we're going to say this is probably where we need to be. But as much as possible, mm. the show works better when we are in sync with the casters. It's a choice. It's only a choice we make if we legitimately think that it's going to improve the quality of the broadcast.
3: Hmm. Interesting. It's not something I, I think people like actively think about. I think it it's one of those things that somebody might assume that's watching the broadcast like, oh, they they're like kind of tied together, but. Perhaps there is some audibles called perhaps like this wasn't something that the casters were like necessarily talking about or maybe it's exactly what the casters were talking about and they had to move on a split second from the set positions they were in and try and capture exactly what, you know, the casters well, on the game. A great
1: example, a great example of this is the great bamboozle because, you know, the casters see our outputs mm. and they, they've got, you know, maps so they can see positioning and stuff. But just knowing the sure force sitting in spawn is one thing versus knowing exactly what he's doing is another thing so right. sometimes just
0: sitting on the bench
1: we have to branch out and go to the weird thing and then the casters they're really really good at what they do so they usually identify why we're doing what we're doing and roll with it hmm. um and we again we try to make it we try not to put the cart before the horse most of the sure. time but sometimes the cart has a rocket attached to it
3: and that's that.
2: <laughs> <gotta> <laughs> This, this brings me to, like, a, a point. I had... Okay, let's be honest. I had a pretty robot discussion between two robots uh, communicating on Twitter, between me and Lurpus And, eat. like, the CSGO analyst. And he had basically, like, the... His his premise, not to go too far... Like, elevator explanation. He says, if players care as much about uh, o- online play as offline play, then we don't need offline play. Because, they like... The the incentive is the same. Apparently, therefore, the games are played at the same level. Therefore, the entertainment factor is the same. I said, okay, we're, we're foregoing one one for me, probably not not for me, but as I perceive it in other people, the aspect of how a crowd not only um, impacts the players that I acknowledge is happening, but also uh, um, influences the sh- broadcast. Right, like for for me. Mm-hmm. I always thought, for instance, like a caster like um, Uber is basically like currently domesticated in his, uh, in his apartment and is not let into the big arena where he's just going to usually just eat gladiators alive, right? Like uh, <laughs> <laughs> just feeding yeah. off the energy of a roaring crowd, right? Does that also translate yeah, Uber's to you guys?
1: Energy in? expands to, to fill whatever space it occupies.
2: <laughs> right, yeah. That, but necessarily that would then also impact your work because if it impacts the caster then it probably also uh, flows in, into y- your work in some way. Do you think like you the broadcasting or the, the production would have gained from being in arenas this, this season?
1: I think that uh, being able to observe from the comfort of my own home has its advantages. It right. absolutely has its advantages. It's also part of why every game blurs into the next. Uh, we like right. to talk about especially when you have new observers and they're doing their first roadshow. You know, back when we had Bala, it was okay, you know, you can hear the crowd. They're, they're on the other side of that wall. It's about four hundred mm-hmm. people, but you know, especially Battle of LA, they got that energy going. Uh, and then when you're in trucks in the back of an arena and you've been sitting around on your butt for three days doing tech rehearsals and waiting and not really able to practice because you cannot practice observing with bots like it, you cannot. Right. uh finding what practice you can, just building up all this anticipation. And then finally, the real game starts out. But especially for the directors, they rely pretty heavily on this is just another game energy. Like, Mm. they found a good way to harness that live audience. This is exciting. We're in a city eating food we don't normally eat, seeing sights we don't normally see, and the stakes are super high. But when you start doing the game, this is just... I don't care if this is the grand finals. This is just another game, and we're going to do this like we do all of our games to the best of our ability. So I think that the observing does feed off of the energy somewhat. Being isolated in a fairly soundproof truck, usually in the back near the dumpsters where it kind of smells weird, uh, means that there's less of that crowd energy. It's not the same as being in the arena. Right. Uh, New York, for example. New York, we weren't that far from the arena, so we got that full roar going mm-hmm. on. Uh, Philadelphia, we were further away. We were further towards the back, so we had a lot less of that energy. It was just that, hey, we're, in a, a, we're traveling... You know, and the casters are popping off, and some of that energy is bleeding over into us. I don't think that it makes personally. I don't think it makes a huge difference, except for memorability of events and stuff like that. I am willing to bet the other observers differ, though, because I am a lump and would stay in my house all the time if I had the option.
0: I feel personally attacked. Also,
1: (laughs) also, I feel like you have to have live events. You know, the the players. Are chomping at the bit for live events, and I know you asked a specific question about observing, uh, but regardless, just for the success of of the um, of the medium of the sport in general, mm. live events are key. There's nothing like walking out and drinking expensive beer and you know eating cheesy what sits in the middle of a huge crowd and yelling at the enemy fan. Like that experience is. I know esports has a unique advantage of being able to adapt to the COVID times and just have the the all the advantages of remote production in general. And I do think there's room to exercise that more. But the home rock. The home are so much fun, and they're good for the sport.
0: Love to be a I part so. <laughs> <just like> <laughs> one kind of one someday. It's like one of these days. So long yeah. ago. It, was it feels kind of weird like it was seeing people.
3: Yeah, kind of. It also feels yeah. weird, like seeing like the League of Legends broadcast where people are like in a studio. I'm like, oh, is that is that allowed? Like, are, are we are we there yet? Like, you oh.
0: fools, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna die. Uh, yeah, it kind of yeah. feels weird,
3: but hopefully we get back to it soon. And I agree. I think it's it's one of those things that like we've I I think it's too far in the future to say that like a a player, the fans, everybody involved and and adjacent to it. Gets the same kind of rush of adrenaline or that same kind of church like feeling that Yiska kind of likes to call back to Mm. Um, that, like going into arena and cheering for your team. You this side is for this team, this side, you know, you have these pockets like, you know, you're there for a cause, even though you might come from two different backgrounds, you know, you're here to watch this one thing. So you kind of have that commonality that's kind of kind of almost completely removed. And now it's just a faceless text or or a pog champ or a dance game or whatever it is, whatever, you know, the. The lens of the future oh. is like it's not the same.
0: You you. Oh, I think we lost gnomes briefly again. This is there's a lot of good stuff going on here though.
3: Round replays still work in a game like Overwatch. Overwatch replay. Oh.
0: And oh, but I just got the strikes again. There we go. Again, you back. Yeah.
1: Yep, the fact that nothing sensitive was being discussed at this time proves that I'm not being monitored. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that time they're just they're just jerking your chain. They're just like, ah, let's just do it. It, just All
1: right. it. All right, it's been a few minutes. Hit the red button. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to make months. it non-sus, right? Like <laughs> it's it's crunch time.
0: <laughs> it's crunch time. it is crunch time. It's
2: true. Um, <sighs> have you observed any other game? During, yes. before, Rocket. after? Oh, okay. Rocket League. Okay.
3: okay. Uh,
1: very briefly. I was, again, I was not an observer by trade. I had some observing chops and I had mm. the opportunity. And then Tespa does multiple esports. So Tespa did some Rocket League mm. stuff and they needed somebody. So they called me in and I did Rocket League for a few weeks. And let me tell you, doing a game with six players total in a completely flat. Level environment with one objective was amazing, even though the observing tools were jank at the time. And I like, I think it's all automated these days, it was half automated when I did it. But what would happen with Rocket League was, yeah, it's only six players, three on each team, but the hotkeys would change every round of the game, like every single uh-huh. round. Player that you know, Yiska was no longer F one, and Volnol was no longer F two, and Kick Tripod was no longer F three. They would switch around. So at the beginning of every round, before I went live, I would like I had a little notepad, and I would hit Mm. one and say, "Okay, that's this person," and I write it down. And I just ended up with this table for all the rounds that you played. Um, Jesus,
0: gotta get like a. But yeah, that's the only other game I really observed. Thing or something, you can just name them or whatever,
1: right? Mm
3: -hmm. That is bizarre. Is there anything that you I mean granted it's probably been so long so this might be remotely unfair but is there anything from like kind of looking at it through hindsight like that you learned from Overwatch that you kind of would want to like apply to a different game whether it be Rocket League or just whatever you happen to be viewing you know these past couple of weeks and during COVID
1: I think that you know Overwatch is a is a unique beast Yes, and like, like, yes, nice saying, the, the challenge of observing overwatch is, I think there's challenges of equal scale.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, how do you make Battle royales not suck, although mm-hmm. those aren't as predominant as they used to be? How do you make observing those A thing. Um right. I, I think there's a lot of other challenges that might be as as intimidating as Overwatch, but I don't think there's anything that has the same unique alchemy. Of elements that make it so difficult to capture, to bring out. I I think that if I were to do observing in another eSport, the core principles we try to adhere to for observing Overwatch are universal. Mm. And I think that a lot of the core concepts of good cinematography, good narrative, good storytelling are all universal. And if wherever I went didn't already have those in place, I'd want to share those and implement those. But that's only likely if it's you know if they don't have any broadcast people if, it, if it's mm-hmm. all organic homegrown roots up nobody from outside I feel like most places if you have an observer if you if you've got any sort of corporate infrastructure whatsoever you're bringing in some sports folks you're bringing in some production folks who have an idea of, of what they're doing and I might be able to iterate on that and hone mm-hmm. that a little bit but um, again overwatch is just let me tell you the the cross platform applicability, the transferable skills are weird mm-hmm. in terms of making career moves.
3: Yeah, I can only imagine on that front. It is it is a very bizarre beast indeed. I think that's a a nice way to put what Overwatch has a weird weird alchemy of things. Yeah. Well,
0: now we lost Joe. Oh, uh,
2: Joe die? That da- there we go. That's- it's
0: just icing on the both the it's joes actually killing the joes
1: yeah
3: joes. Joes. yeah yeah death the yeah. joes do we do you think we have time to kind of dive into like the differences between owl and apex because i i would love to hear like a professional's take on the differences and and looking at like what you guys tried to iterate on what you thought was incorrect Mm-hmm. what you thought like the differences were because that's something that i still hear people like oh it was all rosy rose-tinted glasses you know it was so much better in apex but they don't necessarily
0: <laughs> bye joe <laughs>
1: and it's gone and it's gone
0: i, I would uh I, I mean yeah i think you probably get the gist of this question though
1: T- timing wise, I'm on your guys's clock, so you know I'm I'm good. Or uh, my battery's gone from like seventy percent to thirty percent over the last hour and a half, so right. you know we're t- we're doing all right. Uh, <laughs> Apex OGN. So yeah, we got to meet those observers uh, when we went to Korea for the Gauntlet, and they are like super good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Let's not mince words about that. They are excellent at what they do. They all play the game at a very high level. They all have a very, you know, fast reflexes. All the the things I will never be, they have. Uh, Actually being good at video games, having those fast, non-boomer reflexes, the works. So (laughs) a lot lot of what they execute, a lot of what people are nostalgic for are just instances of good craft. You know, Mm, people like there's that dragon shot strike and... Uh, the Dragon Strike shot. And when you your team is working well in sync and you pull it off, that's just good craft. And I think that our team over time, the Overwatch League team, has really built up to the point where they deliver on some fantastic moments. And, you know, I would not want to, if we were mm. drafting teams to play each other in an Overwatch 6v6, I would bench myself immediately and not want to be involved in that. Sure. Uh, but these days, I think we'd have a better shot than we used to. Stylistically, stylistically, yeah. Uh one of the things that hurt us first off is that when Overwatch League came out, OGNA picks was still fresh in the memory. Yeah. Uh it was in some ways a new team, still finding its footing. But, but I'm gonna lay most of the f- feet of this at the Moth meta, the double res meta. That sure, was right worst. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and that's not something that people <laughs> think I was about it. the replays. Yeah. This is this right. was so, not like, something really easy see- for you guys to observe. Yeah,
1: I mean I can't really speak for my colleagues who were all actually doing the thing at the time. Sure. But uh, Double res was just well, it was difficult because the the flow of the storytelling was difficult, the just everything about it was difficult.
3: Mm. But
1: let's talk about the actual question you asked which is stylistic differences. Sure. If I had to aside from just good craft, just legitimately good craft, if I had to say anything about What it is that OG and Apex does differently is that they they expect you to know what you are doing when you are watching their show. The people who are nostalgic for Apex are the people who understand Overwatch, and their brains and their neurons fire at the rate of somebody playing Tracer they get it they don't have to have it explained to them they understand what it means when this particle effect goes off and this ui goes off and just everything like they they get it they've been watching since the beginning and they understand and for those folks ogn apex is a great observing style it mm-hmm. is fast paced we have also found that this is a difference between the um the asian markets actually the apac markets Oh,
3: okay
1: apac likes fast-paced. They like just quick cuts. They like to see all... They don't care. They just want to see the kills. Show me the kills. They like that much higher tempo. Um, Whereas the North American European market tends to... like. Yeah, they don't want us to miss kills, obviously, but they don't like the super, super fast... um, Blue Tracer, Red Tracer, Mm. Blue Tracer, Red Tracer. Mm. We have a rule where we never go Tracer to Tracer because that inverts the brain. The average viewer gets you know, it, it's like they have to reestablish context because of that cut, and they're seeing some of the same information. Their brain explodes. So we will never do that. Um, are there exceptions? Gear, are there any exceptions?
2: Like you're on Genji, and suddenly the other Genji pulls blade.
1: Yes. We will try to do something to distinguish. Like, if it's just this is where we have to be right now, we will pull the the trigger on it. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, uh, I know third person is a uh, controversial topic, and Mm -hmm. I believe I have a good understanding of its correct uses and I can explain why it gets used where it gets used. One of the places third person will get used is if we are transitioning from the same hero on one team to the other because the different perspective Ah. allows your brain to say oh there has been a change. Now generally speaking you don't want to do that in the middle of an action sequence because third person is not good. It's not good to watch high skill gameplay in third person um, or fighting almost ever in general with very few exceptions in third person. But uh, if we need to go from Genji A to Genji B, using third person as a transition method, so we were in first person, now we're in third person, my brain has agreed that even though it's the same hero, we've made a cut, now we can zoom in. But if he just got nanoed and he's about to kill everybody, you may not have that luxury, you may need, just need to, to hard cut. Um, but in general, don't go hero to hero is one of the... There's, no, there's very few hard, hard rules, but it's one of the harder rules.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but yeah,
1: Apex, OGN... Fast-paced. Expect you your brain to quickly adapt to the transitions. I would say stylistically, that's the main style difference. Right. Other than that, they're good. They're just good. At, they're good at what they do. They're very good at what they do.
2: Are, are I there, think? Sorry, go ahead. From from like an observing perspective, I think that definitely checks out. Oh, for sure. the, the one thing that I and that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with uh, observing per se, but production as a whole is. That they, by injecting player faces between players, had a very authentic way to evoke emotion, and I always wonder why we didn't use that to that extent like it's in in a way, yes, it can feel cheap, almost like the laugh track of um of like East broadcasting sure, but like mm. it, it, at the same time it's not acted. this player isn't putting on a show on his face in order to like. Express that he's upset that he just got killed, but that's just genuinely what's happening, right? Um, yeah, do you think I, that... Yeah. Go on.
1: Um, all I'll say about that is that I'm pretty sure all the observers agree with you.
2: Oh, okay. They do. Right.
1: <laughs> I think they do, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy.
2: I mean, it's hard to do now, let's be honest. Like they're, Sure,
1: they're- and to oh, be yeah, fair, these, like OG these, and the, the technical restrictions are very yeah. blatant.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I honestly think because now you're connecting like uh, just to to hammer this point a little bit more home, um, like you're connecting real human emotion to whatever is happening there. It's already pretty like when when I read like Reddit, it feels very cold in how we uh, treat players and where we don't really understand the emotional weight that is behind that play, like. It's not just playing video games. If you're doing it for seventy plus hours a week, that's just your life then, and it doesn't really matter what kind of um, like environment you're in. This is the, like humans adapt uh, to these c- circumstances and emotional landscapes. mirror each other d- depending on these uh, situations. So, um, it, it always felt like, uh, even as someone that. Like I definitely had a different co- emotional connection to these players from Apex because of that. And I think most of us that still stuck around do. And why do we not have anyone to the same degree uh, like a Jay Hong, like a Toby, like, like all these players from Apex now th- uh, in, in that, um, that level of fandom? Like I would say for some players, it maybe happened, but in a different tone and through the content that was facilitated, but it's it feels so bottlenecked as well, because then you're doing it only on on the desk or like in the content that the teams put out. Like, yeah, the, the super the narrative works, but the amount of resources you need to inject in order for him to transport whatever emotion he's evoking in you when when he when he's playing or rather like in between when he's playing. Is very different than these little shots. Like they were really not that long, right? It was like a second maybe. Um so yeah. I don't know. Like one of the most visceral and like yeah, I think one of the most impactful moments for me in Overwatch League were looking at moth's face when he realized that Atlanta kept that point. Uh how memorable it is. Everybody remembers that. If you were there,
3: you you know what happened.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Everything about this was crazy. Like, and then seeing his eyes just barely hold on to his eye sockets were it, it, just amazing. Yeah.
1: Um, we we were I, spoiled <laughs> for narratives. We were spoiled for narratives. We really were. Yeah. I, I agree with you. More player cam.
0: Yeah. Um, before we kind of kind of wrap up here, uh, were there are there any other kind of like. Rules or anecdotes, or not anecdotes really, but any kind of like rules and stuff that you guys had as a broadcasting team that might be kind of helpful for people to know and understand and have that as a frame as they mm. kind of watch the game. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, let's see. Well, first off, you've got your basics of cinematography that were drilled in all of us from a pretty early time. You know, rule of thirds, uh, the one eighty rule. If you've established that team A is on the left side moving right and team you know, B is on the right side moving left. Don't do a shot that inverts that. That's confusing. Right. Uh, given the nature of Overwatch, it is sometimes inevitable. Uh, but do your best to keep things framed in that way. Less when it comes to movement, less is more. This is one of my weaknesses. One of the reasons why I don't I didn't do a lot of free cameras. I was I was trying to spin around and chase stuff. But Overwatch has enough movement on its own. If there is movement in your frame as a free camera, then you do not need to add more movement. Less is more. Just do your best to calmly capture the action in the most uh, engaging and informative angle as possible. If you are a player and you want more screen time, do not set your sensitivity on a clicker and then just spew all over the screen. Uh, i Not naming any specific names, but there was a tank on the Dallas Fuel in season one who didn't get as much screen time as may have wanted because he would do that a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. That's funny. (laughs) I think
1: one of the things people may not understand about observing, not in a so like when you've got your your small time which I started out in so mm. no hate. When you've got your single observer who is also the director, who is also the producer and all that stuff, yeah. and then you join a larger observing team, you may not realize how much communication is part of the job. Communication is 80% of the job, Yeah, I would say. Mm. Because we have to keep up. As an observer, you have to keep up with people who play this game at a professional or depending on your production, a semi-professional level. And you will never... You also have to do it for hours at a time. Like our brains didn't work as hard as the teams did when they played. But our we did four matches a day in season one or two. Like Couldn't do we it. did eight, ten hour broadcasts. And yeah, our brains never had to fire at the same level as a team actually trying to win, but we had to keep up with them for long periods of time. And that will that's tiring. That will wear mm-hmm. you out. And so getting good patterns, good rituals, good habits and strong communication with your team are absolutely essential. All the best shots that you ever see come from the director and the observers feeding each other information, useful, succinct, relevant information Mm. at a high speed, and then bouncing off of each other. That is absolutely essential to being a good observer on a team. Mm. And we've had observers who come from solo observing and who are absolutely killer at what they do, and the biggest obstacle for them or you know, why did we pick up Observer A instead of Observer Y? They're both great, but one of them is easier to. They adapt to a communicative team environment a lot faster. Right. They're able to do that flow of information that enables a good show as fast as possible.
3: Right. To be a fly on the wall in that truck would be hell. <laughs> not not only just like entertaining, but just like it. I I would, I can I can almost like picture it in my mind's like ear mm-hmm. that it's like a small platoon. Where like just callouts being fired left and right, and, like you know, a, so you're speaking to this guy. It'd be it'd be hilarious and just so right. interesting to see. Just be like,
0: that would be some good content, mm-hmm. yeah. Like to see it just everybody. they have
1: recorded the observers before. The observers have been recorded on multiple occasions. Um, I think sometimes it was just ended up getting used for some journalist's article, so the footage yep. was never released. Uh, other times, the meme density was too high so it may not have gotten used right because uh, l- l- let me tell you by the 15th map of the day things get punchy <laughs> oh sure
0: <I> can. <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah, awesome oh well hey it's better good. joe this was fun um we <laughs> we had a ton of fun here really insightful stuff yes and i uh, really appreciate you coming on the show uh before we kind of do our typical sign-off things um, you know, take the opportunity right now to just, you know, any shout-outs you have, where can people find you uh, link, you know, give us all your stuff that we can uh, go follow and, and stay up to date with you on
1: Well, I mean first off, shout-out to the observers I got the opportunity to work with them again for playoffs uh, I love all of you, you're awesome it was great getting to hang out with you again uh, we did the APAC show, so I was up super super late. And uh, I encourage everyone if you're interested in observing of esports, Overwatch, etc., go check out the other observers, the ones who are working currently in the field. Um, it's a gr- it's a great group of people. I have a lot of respect for them, and I wish them nothing but success in all that they do. Around the internet, you can find me as Tormented by Gnomes. I've done a pretty good job of locking down the username on all platforms. My Tumblr (laughs) is not active, but I have it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tumblr. Man, I remember Tumblr.
1: Right? Uh, I'm mostly active on Twitter. And these days, my primary projects are Casters and Castles, which is a tabletop RPG actual play, stream, channel, etc. Featuring members of the esports community, primarily on-camera talent. But we've had, uh, you know, Joe has been on our show, actually. It was a lot of fun. And uh, we, I'm also currently doing Red Sky City with DNP, Do Not Peek, which is Jason Alchemist's studio. It is a cyberpunk RPG stream that has been an absolute blast. It is set 30 years or so before the upcoming cyberpunk game. Mm. There's a lot more evil clowns than one would think. Uh, but that has been a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, you, you can, can look up Do Not Peek to get to, get to that.
0: Say Sideshow. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. No, I mean literally there's clou- evil clowns in the story, but also Sideshow does qualify. <laughs> so yeah, if you if you look up Red Sky City, you'll find that. That's my current project. It's available as a podcast, live stream, video, all that awesome. stuff. Been great working with uh Jason and Dan again. Super appreciate that. And other than that, you know, I'm hanging out in Discord on Twitter, etc. Nope.
0: Well Sweet. uh thanks again. Really appreciate it. Um Man, just some good episodes lately. I'm just like, I'm full. I'm Joyce. full. Joyce. Full of sausage. <laughs> you ever know get like made. that full feeling? Oh when my like god, a good he ate his cat. Comes out.
2: He ate his cat.
3: <laughs> he solved That's a new one.
0: I hate the new one. Some of the food. We can get some really nice food. That <clears throat> just had to try it. Temo. <laughs> Uh, no, I did Um Yeah, big thank you to our new subs uh, during the show today, Wolf, Omen, Fredino, and Unco. Uh, thanks so much for Enco. En- <laughs> not not like Unco, Enco. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks uh, for supporting I- I had the flashbacks show.
1: Flashbacks to a multi-hour pause for a second. The
0: <laughs> 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 great um, mouse replacement. Yeah and what else what else what else um find us on patreon patreon.com slash tactical crouch if you like the show uh yiska really quick shout outs for the week where can people find you
2: um mostly doing league of legends stuff this week really enjoying uh, the plans so far and yeah i'm covering that
0: nice i need to i need to watch more i watched a little bit this past week for the first time ever i've never watched any league of legends so i'm like a fake esports fan um, oh stop joe what about you man what's coming up for you um yeah some work coming
3: out for gg recon um weirdly enough trying to find more meaning in our little alcove we call overwatch um but yeah that's kind of the general theme for whatever reason going forward for me this week so yeah check it out when it's out when it's out i don't know you'll be surprised soon to
0: nice um as for me uh not a whole lot i think uh playing some more among us now i'm finally i'm finally in i think i said it in the pre-show finally in, i finally understand among us so now i'm really excited to play so uh definitely want to keep doing that and then uh just hanging out with timo and choji uh i'll let you know once we get the instagram set up for uh choji and timo the Choji, I don't know what we're gonna call him. We're gonna have like a, a cute, we'll have a cute little name for it. Um, but yeah, so setting that up, we're gonna be introducing Choji to Timo this afternoon. We're gonna see how that goes. So hopefully,
3: it, uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, all around. So far, all so good. Parties.
0: Katie said they ate with the door open. They ate their food separately, but knew each other were there and just kind of
1: that's good that's important so Mm -hmm.
0: you know i think we're, we're getting there we're in a good spot uh chat thanks again everybody for hanging out have a great one we will see you on wednesday for another episode probably maybe uh otherwise uh we'll see you on friday for spike drop yay thanks bye
1: bye everyone